Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Monday the 10th of October. Joining me on this edition are assistant editor Steve Withers. Soy Phantasma. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. My grandfather gave me a wagon. Audio reviewer Ed Selly. So dark the con of man. And special guest star Mark Botwright. A P P L E Apple. Sounds like some sort of bizarre <laughs> broken spelling machine. <laughs> like one of those speak and spell devices. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> yeah, it looks like uh, this week Mr. Buttwright is in the 17th century when it comes to internet connections. Uh, we'll see if that clears up as we go ahead. Uh, yeah, welcome back to the podcast. Let's crack on straight away with the current competitions because there's lots of them, Steve. There are. There's quite a few competitions at the moment. We've got, um, as mentioned last week, I believe, three copies of The Line and Winter to Win on Blu-ray. That's open to all members and that finishes on 26th of October. Fantastic film. Enter it. It's a great, great film. Uh, we've got two pairs of tickets to see Ed Harris on stage in the West End in The Buried Child. Again, open to all members. That finishes on 27th of October. Ed Harris, amazing actor. I would love to see him on stage. I think that would be a cr- cracking prize to win. Um, we've got a copy of the Blu-ray and the, the autobiography of The Governor of Lenny McLean, which bizarrely, I've read that book. <laughs> I've read that autobiography. I can't remember why now, but I have read it. It is a cracking read. Uh, a very com- conflicted and complex man, I'd say. Um, but anyway, that's a documentary about the governor and Annie McKean to win on Blu-ray. Again, open to all members, and that finishes on the 31st of October. And finally, we've got three copies of Level Up on Blu-ray, which is a, a British-made uh, uh, thriller about a guy basically being sent around London, kind of like being played almost like a, a real version of a, of a video game. Uh, and that's available again to all members, and that finishes also on the 31st of October. And uh, any previous competition winners? We do. Um, Oversleep, she, I think it's a she, won um, the AK Racing Gaming Chair. So congratulations to you. Some of you might be lucky enough to be listening to this podcast on uh, on Sunday morning. Yeah, that's right. We're putting it out early. So if you're on the ball, you've uh, you found us early and you're listening to us before the Monday. So there you go. Time travel exists. Just think it's Monday, but it's not. It's Sunday. Hardware news. Right. So Hodge wasn't around last week when we uh, went for one of uh, probably only two or three weeks of the year. We had something for him to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I did find that slightly ironic when I was listening. <laughs> yeah. uh, right, amusing as we flailed around, going, I think we know <laughs> what well, this is. Yeah, I think you covered most of the bases, to be fair. I mean, just to reiterate that Cody isn't the culprit. It's just a bare-bones piece of software. Um, your biggest piracy aid, if you're into that kind of thing, is, your, is a PC with a web browser, because everything you can find on Cody is just pointing at a website, um, a file-sharing website or, or a streaming website. Uh, there's plenty of other things responsible for piracy. It's, it's not all about Cody. I mean, Plex is just as bad, to be quite honest, private Plex service. Um, there's countless IPTV apps and, and streaming apps you can find on uh, Google Play and uh, the Apple App Store. Um, yeah, even on your Samsung Smart TV or your LG Smart TV, there are uh, apps that aid uh, streaming of IPTV services uh, that you, you know, that you pay for, and, but they're not totally legitimate. Um, I think likewise Plex is on uh, Mark Plex is on the Hisense TVs on their smart. Plex is on lots of things. Plex yeah. is on Plex is pretty ubiquitous actually. It's gone under the radar. Uh, Plex was actually based on Cody and forked off many years ago, so it, it shares quite a lot of the same the same traits. It, it what pe- what oft? Forked. Oh right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't an accident when yeah, you well, saying something that begins with an F. <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering whether I needed the bleep machine there or not. It was the same with the news yesterday with all the fracking going on. <laughs> uh, but that's got under the radar, as I say. But yeah, there, um, if you check out Facebook, there are countless Plex groups uh, where you can access these private service for a, a monthly fee. Um, likewise, well, well, one, of the things, one of the things, Mark, I was, I was reading up on... Um, 
is that it's not illegal for you to pay to access streaming services. So as a user, um, you can uh, get one of these streaming services and pay for it. And under the European law, um, you're not breaking the law. No, to actually access the streams, you're just accessing it. Like, again, you just you could get it through your web browser. It's just a link on the internet, a URL. You're accessing to watch, you know, to watch whatever. So until someone, until Big Brother sort of com- comes down and clamps down on what you can actually watch, you know, barring indecent um, content, then, yeah, you're quite free to do that. And, you know, it's your money. You do, you do what you want. Um, you might be breaking the terms and conditions of your internet service provider. That's that's the one thing. So they could, if they find you doing it, they could block you off. Android gets a bad press as well in all this. Um, but long before uh, Android boxes were around, Kodi or XBMC as it was was around, uh, and it's available on all sorts of platforms. I mean, it's a bit ironic that Android has got by far the biggest user base for Kodi, but has actually not got one single developer behind it on the official Kodi team. So um, the reason that they sell in their I don't know. I don't know the numbers, but thousands uh, is because the hardware is very cheap, knocked out normally quite cheaply by Chinese manufacturers with crappy firmware, crappy software. So if you're buying one of these fully loaded boxes, you're paying over the odds for for a device that really is probably not going to function all that well. Um, it's generally just a, a cheap, crappy box with someone's just installed a a Kodi wizard, which is like a, a one-click install job where it sticks all these uh, dodgy third-party add-ons that allow access to the content um so you i mean you could have done it yourself for, for a fraction of the cost to be quite honest um so you know, just stay clear you've also got the concern that um some of these third-party add-ons not so much an android but if you're running windows have access to your system files so you've got to be you've got to be wary about what you're doing um yeah and just really i mean Kodi is a great piece of software but used in the way it was intended to, uh, which is to organize and play back your local media. It, that's, that includes music, games, photos, uh, and all your videos. And, and in fact, there's, uh, there's support for retro gaming as well, gaming emulators in there as well. So you can have, you know, you can have all sorts of uh, things under one hood and access from one page, as it were. And I love it. I love Kodi, but as the... Um, as the Cody Foundation have said, they they issued a blog uh, probably about three months ago that the the box sellers and the, and the piracy addons are actually killing it as a piece of software because it's getting such bad press. But I guess it's in their hands in some ways. They could block third party addons, but that would that would hinder development of, of the project because it's you know nobody does it. Nobody gets paid to develop um, Cody addons. Well, unless they're, they're third party ones that they're selling subscriptions to. But um, yeah, it's it's, it's um, the box sellers are a big problem, but. I think that um, that horse has bolted, and I don't know what they're going to do about it. To be quite honest, see the thing is though they're picking on this uh, this guy up in Middlesbrough. But if you go and look on any major retail website, um, you can actually buy these boxes with the add-ons on. Yeah, let's um, name names. eBay is absolutely full of them. Amazon is full of them, um, and they need to clamp down on on how these boxes are advertised and how they can be sold. I mean. They should be sold bare bones media, as media boxes, and not with advertisers being, you know, fully loaded or jailbroken or whatever term they're going to use um, to uh, to promote this um, nefarious content. As but it were, then, so. but then, Mark, you know, the, there's that. But then, you know, directly challenging that is the recent court case where a publican was taken to court over the fact that they were accessing um, three o'clock kickoff Barclays Premier League games uh, via a European satellite. Um, and you know the the judge turned around in their favour and said 
Sky could bugger off because they, they, they were yeah, quite Yeah, as long as they're not using the Sky logos, uh, yeah. that's what they can get done for. They can't get done for actually showing the game, but if, if it's got the Sky logos on it, then they are prosecutable. Not that that's a word, but um, yeah, they're, they're in more dodgy water there. So when you're getting it, cases like that, though, it, it just muddies the water. It greys it up even more because it can, becomes more of a grey area because, like I say, European legislation says that if you pay... And we're we're talking about even just paying a pound to access a a a, a, serv, a a streaming service, and even if that streaming service is streaming illegal content, it's not illegal for you to access it. Yeah, if the servers are located in the country, which ninety nine percent of the time where the they are, this this kind of practice isn't illegal. Then, where are you what stage are you breaking the law accessing these streams? Um, is it's far too complicated. I think we're still operating. Broadcasters are still operating on the. On the model they were when you know satellite wasn't around when it, when you had to get it through an aerial and and content was sort of kind of regionally locked by by its nature but now we've got satellite streams we've got IPTV streams from all over the world I mean the likes the Premier League it's some of the games are shown on oh, I don't know 20 channels throughout the world um, uh, simultaneously and and there will there will be a there will be breaches in security for that. Uh, people retransmitting the satellite broadcasts or, or the IPTV streams and, and making it accessible to people all over the world. So I I don't know how they've got to t- they're going to tackle it. I mean, I noticed that the recent, um, oh, there was a recent conference uh, for broadcasters and, and security and watermarking their um their sporting content was was top of the agenda. Obviously, they pay top dollar. I mean, Sky paid five billion over three years for this content, and they don't want everyone accessing it for peanuts or nothing. Um, it's up to them to stop it, I guess. I mean, that, that, <laughs> there's no way the courts can enforce it. It's such a widespread practice. I, mean, I know a lot of people who access um, sporting streams for for little or, or no money. Um, uh, uh, lots of people are at it, and so it's up to the content providers to find security measures to to prevent it, I guess. And, and of course, what doesn't help um, matters is that I'm sure a lot of these broadcasters will like to keep the Cody boxes under wraps and that the general public don't know about it. And then if you've got the BBC and ITV and everybody else... Um, Report, reporting on the fact yeah. that they're going after one guy in Middlesbrough, it, that just tells the whole world that didn't know about Cody boxes and the fact that they could get Sky Sports and all the rest of it for, for nothing, that these things now exist and now demands shooting up for them. Absolutely, yeah. And word spreads on these things very, very, very quickly indeed. Um, I mean, I've lost count of the number of times I've been approached in the school playground by various dads asking me questions because <laughs> they obviously know what I do. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and word, word just spreads. And like you say, like you said on the podcast last week, the BBC gave the biggest advert for uh, Cody boxes and in inverted commas that, that, that there's ever been, probably. Yeah. Okay, I'm sure we're going to come back to this one. Has the trial gone ahead yet or not? No, it's, it's ongoing, I think. He's not the first guy to be picked up for it, but he's the first guy to be taken to county court. And it, uh, basically, it's just... What's, actual, just, what's his actual offence, then? What, that is interesting, because I can't find that out. I, I went looking for that. I don't know what what offences he's, he's, he's actually broken. Uh, I think they need to invent new laws to cover this kind of well, thing. Well, if it's county court, then it's not criminal. Yeah. Yeah, because if you're saying that it's not illegal to pay for a subscription service to do access this stuff, then I'm not quite sure what exactly he's done wrong. Well, he's, he's advertising, he's, he's, he's selling um, and advertising the copyrighted means to do content, it. Yeah. easy access to copyrighted content, facilitating the boxes to do that. So, whereas if he just advertised, it should it be. As I a, mean, I'm against it. He should be against the law. He should be prosecuted. Uh, um, but you know, it, then why pick on him? You know, <laughs> why not well, pick on worry, the, the bigger really, boys? The European Union and repeal the Human Rights Act. I'm sure we'll get absolutely hammered. So. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Put him in the Just watch out, the Tories are coming. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the answer is uh, to, to prevent it. I really don't. Um, it'll, it will continue for some time, yeah. yeah but if I, you're interested in, in high quality, watching movies and TV, um, then really Cody streams are probably not the way for you. When has the public ever been interested in quality? Yeah, if it's free and good enough and easy to get at, then people will continue to do so. Yeah, the, the operative word, they are being free. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, you know, people will do it and they'll put up with whatever crap they can because they're getting it for nothing. Um, I mean, just look at look at the launch of the video recorders. Within months of video recorders be, becoming available, there was, I think the, the most famous one was a, a pirated copy of E.T. I think that went yeah, round the whole that. world. I watched that in 82 and it was crappy. And yeah, so did I. Yeah, the only thing you could make... just gone to the cinema, but no. No, no, you watched it on a pirate video. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's not time I ever did watch a pirate video, by the way. I, I don't know why. I think it was just a rite of passage, wasn't it? You, got, you had to do the E.T. pirate video. I mean, it still made a, a shitload of money, so clearly people were also going to well, the well, cinema. Well, obviously, I'm a lot younger than you, Steve, but I can remember it because I, I was in uh, primary school at the time. Primary seven, I think it was, six or seven, just ready to go to high school when that, when that happened. So um, I can remember it, but I don't know. What, I think it was just because everybody had just gotten radio recorders. I think it was just yeah. the big thing. and. This this copy of ET seemed to go around the whole world because everybody you talked to from the eighties saw this copy of ET <laughs> on pirate video. Yeah, I don't mean piracy predates the internet age. It's just the internet has made it a damn sight easier to distribute and access. Yeah, I mean just look at Napster. Yeah. The birth of the internet and the first thing that was invented other than the porn sites was uh, you know illegal music. Exactly. That's perfectly legitimate organisation now, Napster, isn't it? No, it's popular though, are they? I mean, that's something I'd like to see. I'd like to see Cody as, as a smart TV platform and legitimise it. I mean, they're doing stuff to make it so that the DRM content from the likes of Netflix, iPlayer, etc., um, can be put on there without it fear it being cracked by um, creating what's called binary add-ons, ones that you can't you know manipulate yourself uh, easily. So um, that I think it may go that way. Someone could pick it up as a smart TV platform it would be absolutely excellent it would blow everything out of the water done right with all the right services accessible but um, we live in hope yeah just just look at how successful android was when it came it's smart That's a bit of a di- <laughs> it's a bit of a different thing cody is designed to organize your entertainment in the media whereas androids yeah but if it's easy and it'll work and um, you know <laughs> sending messages and phone calls if it's easy and it'll work though manufacturers won't touch it that's that's the problem true yeah. Uh, right, so let's move on to people uh, with more money than Sensed. And uh, if they fancy streaming, uh, there's some new product for them. Uh, there's a slightly loaded approach to this. <laughs> um, I, I would counter that this is actually a pretty sensible set of things. Name, based down in Salisbury, one of our uh, leading British audio companies, they have updated their Unity range of all-in-one streaming products. They have gone down from four models to three plus a, uh, a server device. Um, and it's I mean, name only changes things very slowly. Uh, everything that you see here has to be taken taken with that understanding because this is actually quite a big deal. Um, they have completely revised the internal architecture of these products. Um, they were very, I went down to, to a press launch for the product and we were embargoed for a bit and that it made it almost to the point when the embargo was supposed to be lifted before someone broke it. So, you know, and they who, did all who right was there. Who was that? It wasn't us, was it? It wasn't us, no. Um, the internal architecture has been completely revised, as I say, and Name were very honest that when they developed the original Unity player and then some of the offshoots from that, they were essentially taking 
big chunks of their separate products and just combining them in a single chassis, which worked extremely well in a sonic sense. They they all performed extremely well, but they um, it meant that the product they product wasn't as sort of slick and as integrated as they liked. It also cost quite a lot to make. So these have been designed from the ground up to use uh, to, to to streamline the process of all the functionality that they offer. Um, that functionality is pretty impressive because they've kept everything that the old products did, as you might expect. You don't go backwards. So native Tidal and Spotify support, um, streaming up to at least 192K in PCM and DSD streaming and all, all the rest of it. But they've added a couple of other functions, which I think will, will, will be quite useful for quite a few people. The first is that these are all Google Cast compatible. Um, name's taken the decision that rather than trying to... Um, natively support every single streaming service that people might be using with the enormous amount of software resources that that takes up and and the, the you know the constantly moving goalposts essentially if you've got a cast compatible device that accesses the streaming service you simply just cast it to your unit and away it goes and it does it exactly the same way the other functionality which um could also be quite useful is that um on the smallest of the models this is an option and on the larger two it is uh fitted as standard is an hdmi connection to receive audio over um the audio return channel uh which is important because uh, for the moment, televisions are still being fitted with uh, optical outputs, but there are increasing sort of encryption calls and all the rest of it. So this could end up being the only real way of getting audio back out of a television, um, certainly for sort of, you know, high quality services. So they are safe safeguarding that. And it just means that they are more capable of operating across a variety of extra sources. Then the big deal as far as you know, Nate, fans of the brand, is that they've changed the casework. And this happens uh, roughly as often as comets appear. So it's a big deal. Um, they've taken some styling cues from the Muso systems that we've looked at and also from the flagship statement equipment. But they've then combined that with some of the more sort of traditional name styling points. And I, it's another one of these products. I'll say this right now. The photos selected for the news story, the photos that you'll see online, they're all from the same pool of stock images. They've done a better job taking photos of this than they did the original Muso system, which I always thought looked really awkward in photos and much better in the flesh. But trust me, these products look absolutely brilliant when you actually interact with them. I was going to uh, say, actually, Ed, the, the, the photo underneath the top photo looks like half an Xbox sandwiched together with something it's else. Very, it's a very peculiar... Essentially, all three of the streamers have got this same segment where the display and the controller is, and then they either... The, the smallest one, the Atom, is just that, and then the full-width systems have got this extra, extra block. And you're right, it looks very ungainly. It looks sort of like cobbled together and, and, and a, bit, a bit odd. In the flesh, when you actually see them for real, it makes a great deal more sense and it does look really very smart indeed. And the displays and all the rest of it, it's the first time in a while where I've looked at a piece of equipment built by a relatively small British manufacturer and it is absolutely as good as anything else made by any company, be they multinationals or another small organisation. It looks absolutely fantastic and just the, the interactivity with them is truly exceptional um you're right they aren't giving them away they they're built in this country and they've got a lot of functionality in them but um yeah prices start at i think 1600 and go through to 3008 for the big one um but the caveat is i mean if i 
remember all the way back to when I reviewed one of the old Unity systems for OVForms, the Unity Lite, the kicker was that I couldn't actually assemble a separate system that did all the same things for the same price that was any better, let alone decisively better. That's what they that's what they're shooting for. And you know, I will we'll get we'll hopefully get some get get it get a, an example of the small unit in and we'll we'll see if they've delivered on that because the early signs are this is a really impressive piece of kit. Okay, so moving on from uh, name, let's go gaming. Uh, Sony are going to launch their uh, PlayStation VR this week, Mark. Yes, uh, out October 13th. Um, we're getting a, a bundle in this country, uh, kind of core bundle for £350, which sounds expensive, but if you consider the alternatives uh, on PC, the Oculus Rift at uh, £499, and that's without its touch controllers, and then the uh, HTC Vive, which uh, was 689 but in this post-Brexit world has gone up to £760. Um, It's kind of Sony's value offering, um, first foray into the world of VR. Um, In the box, you'll be getting just the headset, the little earphones, little earbuds, and a demo disc. Uh, We only get eight demos in the UK. The US get 18 um, but it seems largely that's that's not down to anyone being kind of stingy. It's it's more to do with the fact that obviously in you know European territories we have to have things in multiple languages. Um, the the kicker being you don't get uh, the PlayStation camera, which is necessary for it uh, to work, and uh, there are no move controllers. So those are things that you're going to want to get separately. Um, the games are generally designed to work with the DualShock 4. However, it, it seems like particular things like um, job simulator um, and stuff like that where you've got your hands shown that in fact uh, trying to integrate it purely around a traditional controller is is perhaps a little bit uh, ill-advised um, it, it they're very much going for the the comfort lightness so that people find that they can sit with it for periods without hitting that the the early point in in vr which seems to be that a lot of people complain that these headsets are bulky, that they're slightly uncomfortable to use for prolonged periods. Um, The main obstacle seems to be at the moment, the fact that there's still an issue around who gets motion sickness and who doesn't. Um, But on the plus side, uh, it it seems like it's it's generally reviewing quite well at the moment. Um, It's got a lower resolution than the, the PC alternatives. But uh, I think it's got uh, RGB stripe sub-pixel arrangement versus, we assume, I think it's pentile on the other displays. So it's led to um, a lot of people commenting lesser screen door effect. Um, but yeah, they, they're going for the kind of light, affordable first foray into VR. And it, it seems very much at the moment that it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a novelty. But the hope is that as long as Sony continue supporting this and they don't drop it like they did with the PSP, like they did with the PlayStation Vita and like they did with the the Vita TV or PlayStation TV, that, you know, we will get uh, version two at some point and it will just, you know, the technology will continue getting better and better and it will continue getting cheaper and cheaper. Buy one. I, I cancelled my pre-order for the first time in a long time. <laughs> I, I actually won't be there day one. It was a case of... I, I always buy consoles early doors and I always end up saying there aren't the games for it. This is something that I think is, is going to be a case where people will have to try it. Um, I think there'll be a lot of um, 
there needs to be a real push with this. I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen um, any great kind of marketing drive to say to people, come and try it for yourselves. And really, for £350, if you were to get motion sick, it seems like it seems like a really big risk. Unless there's something that you can particularly say, that's definitely a game that I would want to play. But how are you, first of all, to know that it's it's going to suit you, the virtual reality as a whole? Some people just cannot get on with it. Their brains can't get around it. Um, and, and secondly, you, you're facing the fact that they have to design slightly different types of games. They can't simply be the same games just chucking on VR functionality. The odd game that might seem to work, something like Res with Res Infinite looks absolutely fantastic and is the one thing that would make me pick this up but ultimately you're you're dealing with new experiences and new technology and that definitely needs to be tried yourself I'd, i guess it, it all depends on the type of game like you say mark and if it's one where you're walking around that's going to be a bit strange if you're just stood still isn't it because you don't have the sensation of walking around or running around or whatever whereas um the demos i've seen of the star wars stuff where you're in the x-wing and that kind of thing you're sat down on a chair um you're not moving anywhere. Everything's moving around you. So I guess that would be le- you'd be less likely to get sick with that kind of thing than it was would be say a first person shooter type type thing where your character's running around but you're actually standing still. Yeah, this is what's the the main cause of motion sickness right now, which is if you have something tied to um, the control pad and you're pushing forwards on that. But your brain is saying, hang on, I'm stood still. And that's just it it creates a a real kind of uh, that sense of motion sickness. Whereas if you're in a cockpit, if you're in, you know, like um, on PlayStation VR worlds, you've got a little kind of demo of um, in a shark cage, stuff like that. So stationary, it, it makes absolute sense. And if you can find a way to kind of get around tricking the brain that in some way you're tied to the object that's moving forward rather than you actually moving forward in the space it seems to lessen it slightly but even stuff like um drive club vr which is a car game again you're still getting some complaints from people of of motion sickness what is the resolution of the uh of the vr um well um the the playstation vr is using a, a 5.7 inch 1080p oled screen it's it's 960 by 1080 per hour per eye sorry um Vive and uh, Rift, I think 2160 by 1200, so higher higher resolution, um, I think 100 degrees uh, field of vision for PlayStation VR. So, you know, in, in, by most metrics, it's, it's you know, the lesser um, VR system. Um, it, it's having to use a system of reprojection to hit 120 hertz to, you know, to try and keep things fresh on screen so it's it's updating as you move your head whereas vive and oculus are aiming for uh native 90 hertz so again it, it's all to do with the system that it's running on i mean it, it's running on a playstation 4 which in kind of pc specs terms is would be considered incredibly low end and, and what games have been launched to tie in with it then um well the, the big ones uh until dawn rush of blood which is kind of on rail shooter which is tied into the the kind of um, cinematic horror game that was a surprise hit. Uh, Drive Club VR, Eve Valkyrie would be one of the kind of big hitters. Res Infinite, um, Riggs, Mechanized Combat League, which looks kind of quite a, a fun shooter. Um, Batman Arkham VR, Job Simulator, and PlayStation VR Worlds. There's a bunch of others on uh, the demo discs, like Tumble VR and Battle Zone. Um, 
but yeah, early days, it seems very much that it's a case of lots of different um, kind of a stratified approach to games to just to kind of see what sticks. Yeah, so we're still a long way away from uh, Holodeck then, aren't we? <laughs> we're we're a hell of a long way from there but but the hope is is that this is just version one you know there will be version two if you look at microsoft when they um when they showed off the little kind of teaser for scorpio the the kind of updated uh xbox one that will be more powerful they talked about compatibility with fallout for vr um the fact that um xbox one controls have come with the oculus rift you'd assume some kind of deal will probably be done there so this is you know vr still on console is still going to have some momentum going into 2017 um the only kind of minor issue um to go back to what we were talking about was it last week or the week before about hdr gaming is it seems like the the breakout box for um playstation vr isn't going to allow for hdr to go through so um in essence if it's it's designed to be plugged in and so therefore your playstation 4 goes through that like a chain like you would stick it through an amplifier or something like that your blu-ray player through your amp through to your display um and so that means if you're playing a playstation 4 that's um hdr compatible you're not going to be seeing that which seems a, a little bit of a bodge considering that people will have to either you know change inputs change plugs or use some kind of a splitter now the big push a few years ago in gaming was 3d and it fell flat in its face because nobody wanted to wear the glasses, Mark, when it came to playing games. How's how's this different? Um, this is different in in as much as you are getting tailored experiences. I mean, the, the big the big word, the buzzword that keeps on getting used is that term experiences, rather than simply um, trying to push push it in in games themselves. You're trying to create something that is tailored fully towards the benefits, the strengths of vr um the the problem with uh, 3d was it it was kind of a half-assed approach it was very much the same as it was with films which was can we create the same content and can we add 3d to it um whereas with vr people are, are finding that in fact the traditional games that they've been making might not work with it that in fact you've you've got to work around different things and and you're seeing that in fact a lot of the stuff stuff like um job simulator the things that look the most ridiculous the things that look the most kind of throwaway like little party games that you might see on on like the the wii or something are the things that people are enjoying the most and it's the things that are are kind of more traditional games that are slightly jarring with the technology okay cool um doesn't really help with a gaming stereotype does it of a gamer where locked into their own little own world because now now they are yeah yeah that that's true um but there again i mean with if you look at stuff like um uh, google cardboard and the gear vr and stuff like that it's getting a a pretty kind of mainstream push now um a lot of people are are considering that with regards to their smartphones and i think you'll see more headsets with that with that integration in mind as as the resolution on on phones continues to get better and better Right, let's move it. Uh, do, do we think VR is gonna gonna be a big thing? Uh, Ed, do you think it's gonna survive, or do you think it's a flash in the pan? I don't know. I think the concept is too solid and too all. I mean, let's face it; it's been a big part of you know science fiction and uh, and actually the public consciousness for a very very long time. Uh, I mean, I can remember Tomorrow's World doing pieces on it when I was a kid. It will eventually come into contact with enough 
processing horsepower and other technological developments that it will it will work and it will stick what i couldn't tell you is whether that time is now or whether we're going to go through another cycle of failure and revisit it in a couple of years time a, a simple yes or no i don't know would have done it. thanks for that <laughs> well you know <laughs> steve you asked i answered no no, not, not as long as it remains exclusive the way it is at the moment, as in the sense that, sense that you put on the head unit, you're you know, isolated from the rest of the world. Maybe for gaming, some games, it, that might work. But I think it just makes it, it's not something you can really share with it's anybody else. It's not social, else. is it? it, it no, we're, we're a, social at least 3D too. was social. Yeah. We're moving into a very social world, aren't we now? Everything's bloody social these days. So. Well, if you're <laughs> staring at your phone for, or your tablet for hours and then social, then yeah. <laughs> Mark, what do you think? Uh, yes, I think VR will eventually be a, a roaring success, but not necessarily in gaming. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it maybe ten years. Yeah, yeah. I like I said, the, the the processing horsepower needs to catch up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And and the applications need to be there, but they, they will be. I think VR will be a roaring success. Okay, so let's move back to some social viewing uh, for Steve here. Uh, B6 OLED TV review. It's the last of uh, LG's OLEDs that we've got to see this year. It's the it's the one that comes without 3D. Yeah, I guess it's the uh, you can call it the entry level model, although something that costs two thousand two hundred and twenty nine pounds doesn't really class as entry level. Though it has had a, a bit of a price drop since uh, it launched, so that's good news. Um, no, no 3D. Otherwise, though, it is it is has everything else that they are on all the uh, lineup this year. So the C, E, and G. Uh, it's got uh, HDR support, Ultra HD four K panel, obviously uh, Dolby Vision, and, and you know, it's perhaps not quite as. Uh, the, uh, the the higher end models have obviously have more. I mean, according to LG, they're exactly the same platform across the board. They're all the same panel. And I have to say, having now seen all four, I, I can't say there's any significant difference between the, the, the uh, TVs in terms of their performance. Um, the higher end models are a little bit brighter, so maybe they're cherry picking panels that are a bit brighter. Because the thing about OLED is, you know, they can sort of give a, a tolerance level for brightness, but they can't, you know, it's, the, the, there is definite variations from panel to panel. So maybe they're using some of the brighter panels for some of the more expensive uh, models, that the E and the G. But certainly, um, the, the, in terms of performance, they seem to be fairly much the same across the board. So that aspect of it, if you're looking for an OLED TV and you're a bit tight on budget and you don't want to pay, say, for a soundbar on the E6 or the G6, and you don't want the curved screen, and you're not worried about uh, about 3D, then the, the B6 certainly makes an interesting proposition. You know, it's, it's a relatively, you know, relatively inexpensive television for OLED. Um, it's nicely designed. It, it's attractive. Um, it hasn't got quite as much in terms of the, you know, if you look at the uh, more expensive models, they've got the glass backing on the panel, which looks really nice. But this is more of a just a traditional panel. Incredibly thin, though, four millimeters uh, thick at the top, a bit deeper at the bottom, obviously, where the speakers and the uh, electronics are housed. It sits on a more traditional stand. Which is probably good news mostly because it means you can fit it onto equipment racks better, uh, and there's kind of a, a clear perspex column that supports it that gives the impression that the uh, the panel is floating in space, which I really like. So design-wise, I think it's very attractive, uh, well built. Uh, Connections-wise, it's got four HDMI 2.0a inputs, which is one, two but two more than the uh, the G6 has got bizarrely. So it's got a full set of inputs, uh, legacy connections and, th- and USB ports. So connection-wise, great. Uh, design-wise, nice. Performance-wise, with um, with full HD and standard definition, uh, fantastic, absolutely stellar performer. As have all the OLEDs been this year. Um, you know, you've got the deep blacks, you've got the uh, really good color accuracy, uh, excellent. And out of the box performance was superb. Uh, better again than the G6. Um, so you've got a nice good out of the box performance. Um, the calibration, you can get it pretty much perfect. Uh, I would use the CMS sparingly. I, I found that. Uh, 
if you use the CMS too much, you can introduce macro blocking. So uh, you want to use it sparingly. But basically, the color accuracy was really good um, without even um, you know, resorting to the CMS. And all I did was just tweak the, the hue or tints on a couple of the secondary colors. But uh, otherwise, really accurate. Uh, good motion handling. Uh, yeah, a, a really, really great performance. Um, loved, loved it. And I think I've been saying all year that if, you, if your th main thing is, uh, you know, Standard dynamic range content, so full HD primarily, and maybe some standard definition. Uh, you know, OLED is the way to go. You're going to get a cracking picture, and it really is good. When it comes to HDR, there's, there's been a bit of a mixed bag because clearly, uh, I, I measured the B6 at 575 nits in its most accurate HDR mode. It can go brighter than that in things like HDR Vivid, but then you've got uh, your whites to completely blue. So if you want uh, an accurate image, you need to use the oh, it's called HDR standard, I think it is. And that's, uh, that, gave, that gave 575 nits, which is more than the 540 nits that's required for Ultra HD Premium Certification. So it is UHD Premium Certified, uh, and it, hit, it hits 575 nits, so that's fine. Obviously, that isn't as bright as the LCDs can go. They're going up above 1,000, and in, in some cases, well above 1,000. So you don't get quite the same impact on the highlights. But because, obviously, it's pixel-based, you do get a lot more accuracy. I was watching a scene from uh, Lone Survivor where they're, initially, where they're first going off on the mission, and it's a nighttime scene, and they got the uh, the Chinooks flying through at night and you can see lo lovely little really fine detailed reflections and little bits of moonlight reflecting off of the helicopters in the dark and the black that looks stunning on the OLEDs that's something that they can do really really well uh, but uh, and, and also um, yeah I've never been 100% happy with the color accuracy on the LG OLEDs uh, in terms of their tracking at saturation points uh, although it is better uh, with DCI-P3 within REC 2020 and it does deliver 98% of DCI-P3, so that's good. The problem that I, I've got with it is, and this is not something I've noticed on previous LG OLEDs, but there's a definite stutter in HDR content, uh, and it's definitely only with HDR content. I, I watched the same scene, for example, the beginning of The Martian, where um, the camera pans across the Martian surface. There's a real obvious stutter uh, to the image as it pans across. Uh, and that is not there in exactly the same scene on the Blu-ray, the regular Blu-ray. So that's not something I've, I've seen before on LG OLEDs. And, and someone was telling me on, on the forums that there's been a recent firmware update that seems to have made this worse. So definitely there. And that really distracted me when I was watching HDR content. I could see it all the time. Uh, that's a real real issue because, that, you know, as I said, I don't think I've seen it before on the C, the E or the G. I mean, it's pretty noticeable, so I would have noticed it. It's not like it's subtle. Um, and as I say, someone has mentioned a, a recent firmware update, which may be making this worse. So that's a bit of a, a bit of an issue for HDR performance. I mean, in other respects, it's fine, but you know, I was noticing it, and, and it, it was annoying me. So again, it's a bit of it, like I said at the beginning, it's a bit of a mixed bag. A fantastic full HD performance, not so great HDR performance. And so overall, I've, I've given it a recommended badge because I, mean, I still think it's a stunning performer, but they definitely have some issues currently with HDR, at least on this TV. So that's about it for the hardware news this week. We're going to move on to um, movie reviews. So before I say what's at the cinema, Steve, um, this one uh, really interests me. The films, the, the Girl on the Train. Now, uh, a couple of questions here. Um, did she get a seat uh, or did she have to sit on the floor and tweet about how the thing was uh, you know, parked out and she couldn't get a seat? Yeah, this commuter train appeared to be quite empty considering the ones I've been on are usually at rush hour. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so what's at the cinema, Steve? Yeah, The Girl on the Train, which stars Emily Blunt as as the titular Girl on the Train, based upon a best-selling uh, mystery thriller book. Have not read the book. 
so I can't really comment on it. Although Sharuna has read the book, and she does mention it briefly in her review. I've got to say that I totally agree with her review based upon what I saw, which is that the film, uh, whilst enjoyable in places, doesn't really deliver enough thrills for a thriller and enough mystery for a mystery. Uh, you know, there's a running joke amongst me and my friends when we're talking about sort of whodunits and mystery things, where it's uh, referencing a film called Throw Mum Up on the Train, where a guy writes a whodunit, but there's only two characters. So he goes, it wasn't hard to work out who the killer was because the, the first character is dead by page two. And he goes, what was the motivation? The motivation was the guy in the hat killed the other guy in the hat. And this is kind of the guy in the hat killed the other guy in the hat. There's only a finite number of characters in the story and therefore working out who the killer is isn't particularly difficult. Um, you know, you haven't have to be Agatha Christie to do it. So that was a, there was much mystery. I think I was ahead of the story for most of it and I kind of had a rough idea where it was going. Um, and there's not that many thrills in it for a thriller. What it does have, though, is a fantastic central performance from Emily Blunt playing very much against type, you know, deliberately playing. She plays an alcoholic, uh, very run down, depressed, sad woman, um, you know, and she manages to look unattractive, which is not easy for someone who is very attractive in real life. I still and would. She... <laughs> Just throwing um, the <laughs> But her performance is fantastic. She's absolutely great. And she anchors the entire film. And, and it's probably worth seeing for that alone. I just wish there'd been a bit more, um, you know, the, the mystery elements could have been better. I mean, for example, a lot of the film that it is frequently compared to is Gone Girl, which is a, a very different film made by a very different filmmaker. I mean, the people who made this are no David Fincher. And Fincher can make anything good, frankly. Um, but I think Gone Girl's got a very different approach. And there is more twists and turns and um, mystery attached to Gone Girl. But ultimately, they, it does play its hand halfway through. With this, like I say, I, I was getting, I was ahead of the plot a lot of the time, which is never good for a mystery. But the, the overall, uh, you know, it's well made. It's competently acted. Emily Blunt is fantastic in it. Um, and Sharuna gave it a 6 out of 10. And I would agree. I think it's a 6 out of 10. You know, it's, it's an enjoyable two hours, but but it probably is a bit lacking in mystery and thrills for what's meant to be a mystery thriller. Uh, films opening this Friday, Steve. Yeah, this Friday we've got Inferno, which is the latest in the Dan Brown, Robert Langdon um, adaptations, directed by Ron, ha- Ron Howard and starring Tom Hanks again. Can I, can, I, can, I, can I try and guess the plot? Go on then. Is it something to do with um, somebody's going to try and annihilate the human race? Yes. Thank you. Yes, it uh, it does involve um, the human race being destroyed this time by a virus, Phil. So uh, usual thing. Many of you have seen the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. You'll know it's going to be a mixture of religious aspects, some art things, and uh, and some conspiracy theories. And that's exactly what you got here. Um, we've got a combination of a, a virus, I believe, that's uh, designed to wipe out. I think it, it, it wipes out certain people, not everyone. But um, anyway, a virus designed to wipe out a large number of people. Um, Dante's Inferno presumably is also involved in some way. And then um, Robert Langdon, played by Tom Hanks, running around trying to solve all the clues and save everyone before the end of the film. So uh, business as usual, really. And the other two have been quite successful uh, and largely enjoyable. I mean, they are hokum, but uh, I did find them quite good fun. So I, I think I might nip along and see this if I get a chance. The other film opening on Friday is Storks, which is an animated um, animated film about um, storks delivering babies, basically, uh, and the kiddies. So uh, if you've got, is, are we getting near half term? Is that why? Uh, no, we can't. Already get no, we must, term yeah, it probably is. They have, they have so many holidays that it probably is. If it's two weeks, yeah, it'll be two cool. weeks to half term. Yeah. yeah. Bloody hell. But uh, I, it's, anyway, it's a comedy animated film for kids about storks delivering babies. So there you go. Blu-rays. If people are still buying Blu-rays and not streaming content or Cody boxing it, um, what can they buy? 
Well, this week we have Warcraft, the uh, film adaptation of the game, obviously directed by Duncan Jones, who made the excellent Moon and the equally excellent Source Code. So apparently, uh, well, actually, not apparently because I watched it at the weekend. Um, no, I know nothing about Warcraft. I'll be the first to say that. And I did find some a bit quite confusing. I think if you're a fan of the game, you're going to love it. But uh, it was still enjoyable. Very well made. Uh, stunning effects and um, and soundtrack. You know, so, I mean, it looks and sounds amazing. Uh, I was a little bit confused at times, but it's got an interesting cast. And, and I did actually find it quite entertaining, more so than I thought I would, um, given that I'm not a player of Warcraft and have no, nothing, absolutely nothing about the game at all and have no interest in it whatsoever. But I, I did actually find the film quite good fun. So uh, I, I think, uh, you know, you might be quite pleasantly surprised by that. And the other film, well, well the documentary out this week on Blu-ray, and we mentioned it earlier because it's a competition prize, is The Governor, about Lenny McLean. Okay. Uh, Warcraft, I'm assuming that you watched that on Ultra HD Blu-ray and not, uh, you know, a horrible Blu-ray that's... I, uh, I I watched it in Ultra HD Blu-ray, uh, listened to it in Dolby Atmos, and then I also watched bits of it, both in Ultra HD Blu-ray and in um, regular Blu-ray, just to compare the two. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's stunning. I mean, it's, it's a 2K DI, so it's not... Uh, the resolution differences aren't really noticeable. But the differences in terms of um, the dynamic range were quite spectacular in places. I, I was really impressed by some of the, the there were some shots of the skies and the sun and things like that, where it really did show just what a difference the two can be, the difference it makes HDR. And, and of course, you're not reviewing this. That's just what you normally do, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm that sad. I don't think it's sad at all, Steve. <laughs> Uh, anything else coming out uh, UHD Blu-ray that Mark can get excited about? Uh, well, possibly. Um, we've got a few announcements, and most of them in the last 24 hours, in fact. But first of all, Sausage Party is out on the 8th of November. There you go, Mark. <laughs> <Love> you. <laughs> I thought we'd be queuing up for that one. So. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to that, actually. Um, Mechanic Resurrection, 22nd of November. I've heard of it. Yeah, well, that didn't do so at the box office. But probably bigger titles in December... Jason Bourne, um, that's coming out 12th, uh, sorry, 6th of December in um, in the US. I think the week before it's coming out in the UK. In fact, we might get a little bit earlier here. Jason Bourne, um, The Secret Life of Pets, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, is coming out as well. And on the 13th of December, or the 12th of December, I think, in this country, Suicide Squad is coming out on, uh, on Trace D Blu-ray. Um, annoyingly, there's also an extended cut, but that's only going to be on the Blu-ray. But um, anyway... That comes out. So there is there is some stuff in the pipeline. Uh, that's, that's terrible, Steve. You're going to have to sit and watch a Blu-ray. How, how, how are you going to handle it? <laughs> the Suicide Squad was a 4K DI, so that should look pretty good. On I'll get that one. Actually, that's yeah. one I'll get. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't normally see you keen for something, so there you go. Must be... Uh, you see, I would have thought you'd be more interested in the Pets one for the Keep the Kids. Yeah, they can just have a standard Blu-ray. Oh, DVD yeah, okay. for that. <laughs> DVD. Cody box. <laughs> Uh, right, so let's move on to um, a TV show that I think everybody's been interested in and waiting for, apart from me, because I don't have now TV. Although I might just go and Cody box it now that you've told me how to do it, Mark. So that's Westworld uh, on Sky Atlantic. It is obviously based on the uh, the, the film and the novel. Um, what did we think? I thought it was bloody marvellous. It's very hard to discuss any of it without um, significant sort of spoilers creeping in, but... Uh, I suffice to say I was completely, I don't know about anyone else, but I was completely wrong-footed by the actual nature of Ed Harris's character. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it's yeah. it's visually excellent. Uh, the the score, I mean, that 
um, orchestral version of Paint It Black mm. they use is just fantastic. I am genuinely, genuinely excited about where this goes. It could disappear immediately up its own backside. There's no question. It has all there's all the warning signs that it could just degenerate into into sort of a steroidal Truman show. But equally, it could become something truly excellent. And I'm, I don't recall watching something and being as, as, as enthused about it for quite some time. Really, really good. And some very, very, some lovely knowing touches to the original. And but at the same time, making full use of, of, of you know, different thing you know diff, uh, improvements in in obviously effects and and things that you can do now that you simply couldn't do in the 70s i thought it was brilliant and i am fully on board for the for for the rest of the series yes i just echo ed's sentiments um it looked fantastic the introduction of ed harris was kind of one of those great moments in tv um if if the, i had any minor criticism i'd say that perhaps they tried to fit a bit too much in in just that opening hour um it it skipped along at such a great pace um some of the things i felt perhaps they could have drip fed in as the series progresses but they obviously wanted to try and kind of emphasize the fact that there are going to be unique takes on this whole kind of um format of you know monster robots and that kind of thing so that there's a lot of kind of hopefully foreshadowing of something unique some different twists along the way um hopefully it doesn't kind of degenerate into the whole you know the humans are the real monsters thing and and even robots have even robots cry and that kind of thing but uh the the atmosphere the the kind of the the music that that strange twist of of horror and kind of slightly light-hearted weirdness just really did feel completely something different it felt very fresh yeah it's very echoey around here because i think they absolutely nailed it i absolutely loved it i've not seen the movie actually um so i'm coming to it fairly fresh although i was fairly familiar with the story and anyone who's seen jurassic park is going to get a bit of an idea of it um but yeah yeah it was it was intriguing i like like mark said they, they fed a lot at you in that first episode um but it was very compelling uh, and to the extent where i think i'm going to go back and watch a little bit of it tonight um just because I, I was full of a cold and i was just kind of falling asleep the last 10 minutes even though it was so good i did make it through to the end but um i might not have taken it all in um but yeah it was it was brilliant um and just as a little bit of news hbo have released the second episode today so I don't know whether it's available on Now TV or not, but um, because of the presidential debate on Sunday night, it's actually available to view on HBO services right now. So I might go check that out tonight if it's uh, available. Friday night, that is. I'm going to wait. I'll, I, I'm oh, well, it might well be that since Sky are broadcasting it here, although it's been shown early in America, it won't get shown early because obviously Sky doesn't give monkeys about the presidential debate on Sunday, do they? Uh, it'll be is. Uh, I yes, I I did enjoy it. Uh, it looks superb. The production values are spectacular, as you'd expect from HBO. Plenty of knockers as well, as you'd also expect from HBO. And wangs. It's equal opportunities. Yes. There is the plenty of nudity. <laughs> yeah, and the performances were fantastic. Andy Hopkins was superb in the scenes that he was in. I thought Ed Harris was absolutely brilliant. And like you say, they did an interesting twist on the character there, which I wasn't expecting, which was which was great. My only issue with it is they are introducing a lot of very interesting ideas in that first episode that suggest it can go in some very interesting directions. My problem with it is, is this going to be 10 episodes and that's it? Because I get the feeling this what, what HBO wants is another series to replace um, Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones is approaching its end game now uh, and therefore they want something to replace it, a big flagship show. 
I mean, is Westworld enough? Can you keep, is there enough in there to, to string it out for four or five seasons? Or, or is it just going to be, you know, it would be a nice tight 10 part miniseries based upon the film. Great. Do I want to invest in another four or five seasons of it where they start running out of ideas and stringing it along? I don't know. I mean, there is some interesting stuff going on in there, but basically I felt within the first hour I'd seen, you know, I know what the film's about. You know, it's the theme park gone wrong idea. So good an idea that he used it again on Jurassic Park. They've introduced that already. Things are starting to go wrong in the first episode. Really, you know, I'm thinking, where am I going to go? I was already kind of thinking, okay, they're going to have to pull some rabbits out of hats in season two, episode two and three for me to keep me interested. Otherwise, I might start to get bored because I've already seen all this before. Uh, so I was, I was kind of enthused, but at the same time, slightly concerned as to whether they're going to have enough to keep it going and keep it entertaining and interesting and surprising. Um, but so far, it's, it certainly looks it, and, and the performances were fantastic. It looks superb. That bloke, you know, the Abernaki guy. Uh, Dolores's dad. Yeah, that performance mm. he does, stark bollock naked, in the <laughs> glass room. That is one of the most unsettling solo sort of performances I've seen in a long time on TV or film. That was absolutely superb. So yeah. I think it's one of those things. It's right. going to live or die on the quality of some of those performances, and they have picked some people who are just. You know, obviously, there's you know, you know, who's human, who isn't. But the people they've selected as some, as you know, as 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 the hosts, that some of them are turning in absolutely superb near human performances, and it's it's just going to rest so much on that, I think. Yeah, and, and I'm really obviously I'm really interested to see what Ed Harris's agenda is because that that might be the, something that really sells the show to me, if yeah. if he's got something going on there because there's obviously a lot more going on than we know about yet. Um, yeah, there's lots of things in it that I find are interesting, and, and we'll certainly keep me watching it. But but I'm just concerned, you know, if they want to make this into a regular series that they're going to string out for four or five seasons, is there enough in Westworld to do that? I, I don't know. Stop being concerned and just watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, and let's not spoil things as as we go forward. So that was the first episode. I haven't seen it yet, uh, but I don't think you've spoiled anything there so far um no. that anybody going into it would would kind of know what the premise is anyway um anyway we'll see how that uh, progresses over the few weeks and uh, to wrap up i guess it's a good time just to ask the question we'll make this a quick one um and we'll extend it to you uh, dear listener in the thread underneath the podcast as well you had your ideas which films would you like to see turned into tv series this is a bit of a flip because normally it's a tv series turned into a film so which films would you like to see turned into a TV series, Steve? Well, actually, it's funny. I'll, the film I'd like to see turned into a TV series was originally meant to be a TV series, but it got turned into a film, which is The Nice Guys. I don't know if anyone's seen The Nice Guys yet. It's one of the, my favourite films of the year. Really, really enjoyed it. Great chemistry between uh, Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, and obviously full of Shane Black's, um, you know, um, sort of, you know, humour, and and he directed it as well and wrote it, and, it, and it, it's a it's a great film. But he originally conceived it as a TV series. Uh, and, you know, I, I felt that, that that show, the concept of the two private eyes working together in the 70s had loads of potential and would have made a great TV series uh, with, you know, with different things happening each week. 
And because this film hasn't been very successful, unfortunately, we're going to get any sequels or anything else happening. So they could take that idea. They probably wouldn't get Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling for a TV series. Maybe. Although maybe HBO would be getting some really big names, you know, like Matthew McConaughey and Woody Howson and True Detectives. So maybe they could get some them to do a, a mini series or TV series on HBO. They, they could get that concept and bring it back to television as originally intended. I think that would be great because I, I think it was a fantastic film. And, and as a, if you imagine it as a pilot, which is kind of how it felt because at the end of it, they're together as a, as a team with an advert in the, in the you know in the yellow pages. Um, I, I would love to have seen that TV series. So uh, you know, if, if maybe the the film itself wasn't that successful, um, but does okay on Blu-ray and DVD and things like that, then maybe they could um, maybe they could approach it again as a television series idea. Uh, right. Okay. So um, Ed, what would you like to see? Now you hear me out on this one because it takes a, a moment to explain. I'd like to see a spin-off from Pacific Rim. Uh, which doesn't strike me, might not strike you as a logical candidate. But if you think back to the film, the explanation of how these big robots came to be and the program, it's sort of, for the nature of the film, it's condensed down into what a four minute thing. I think actually spinning that out. So you've got people coming to terms with the fact that there are these things coming through at intervals and that you've got to do something about it and what you've got to do and the undertakings required to do it i think done sensitively done properly that could be absolutely fantastic but um you know obviously like like the nice guys (laughs) no one here's the thing actually because i'm sorry spoilers um in in as the film explained and the first attack was then it was six months and so on and so forth so actually you could do multiple episodes where nothing there's no monsters it's just the knowledge that there are more monsters coming it's like winter in game of thrones it's coming but it takes it takes a while to get there um i mean obviously like uh like the nice guys it didn't exact it didn't do badly at the cinema but it didn't set the world on fire although there is supposed to be another one which there's strikes me a bit, in the works yeah. yeah um but i i just think that there's so much there about you know essentially nation states putting putting borders aside and 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 coming together and and all of and you know you could probably have some really grisly scene where they're initially trying to make these things controllable by one person and they and their head sort of melts and stuff like that it could be i think that could be absolutely fantastic but yeah you're right it wouldn't be cheap even under those circumstances i just think there's a real it's one of those throwaway moments in a film which could actually be taken apart and studied really, really well if you did it over a TV series. Okay, so so, so far, so far, you're the one I'd want to watch, Ed. So far, <laughs> uh, Mark. Um, <laughs> on the grounds that we never get to the bottom item on the, <laughs> on the podcast running order before today, I've not given it a lot of thought. Um, thinking on the spot, uh, Goodfellas, although. I don't know. I, I love Goodfellas as, as a movie and, and the characters and, and, and all the acting. You'd have to get the same cast, really, I suppose. But um, that seems to have a lot of scope. Obviously, The Sopranos exists, so maybe it's not necessary. And on the grounds that Fargo made a really good TV series, I will go for The Big Lebowski as another alternative, because that just uh, had me howling throughout. The the one I would like to see made into a TV series, uh, The Good Shepherd, which was directed by Rob De Niro, it was supposed to get a TV uh, kind of spin-off. It didn't. It's It's got all the kind of themes of a good spy thriller that could be um, kind of expanded upon in a decent, you know, six-hour runtime. Um, we've been sadly um, robbed of 
any decent spy thrillers on television of late. Um, in fact, in, in total, you know, you've only really got Tinker Taylor and, and Smiley's People. What there is the Night Manager. That was quite good. Yeah, uh, yeah, but again, you're back to just choose a Lacari story. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it would be nice to see something original on television, and I think you know that had it, it had scope enough scope for improvement, um, but a decent enough um, source material to start with. Cool. Good stuff. And uh, to wrap up, uh, I guess because we started this conversation on Westworld, um, my my one would be uh, Jurassic Park or the Jurassic Park, uh, you know, legacy uh, saga, as it will. And uh, you need to figure out which ones are the dinosaurs and which ones are the humans. Or or you could take that stage further and actually do uh, like a sort of fly on the wall parks and recreation. Yeah. Like hearted <laughs> comedy about in the control room of Jurassic Park. It's like, oh shit, someone's been eaten again. They've already uh, got Chris Pratt, so they're halfway there. Yeah. No, I, I think, like you say, Ed, there's so many different angles that you could take that. You know, if you take the whole story arc that's there already that exists that we know about and then just try and um, work it into a weekly saga, I think it'd be really quite interesting, quite funny. If you went with the comedy side. But, um, or a Silicon Valley style coding program about trying to get the whole thing to work in the first place. It's like, oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, with Ned- Nedry in his workstation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's loads, loads of good. I mean, the whole backstory there is uh, you know, how they, they actually got the first dinosaurs and, and the first raptors. I'm, I'm sure there was more deaths than we were let on in the first film. You know what I mean? We only saw one person get killed by raptors. Then. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil the film from 23 years ago. <laughs> still fresh for me, Steve. <laughs> it's still a great film, no question. But it no, is a fantastic film, yeah. It's inter- yeah, I mean, it's it's an odd one, isn't it? Because some of the... It, it, it's a case of whether you just take an a single idea from a film and then run with it in a different direction. or I mean, one of the other things that's fascinated me uh, on a sort of re- related level to this in aliens it's the colonial marines that go in and well by and large get el- el- eliminated but that's by the by i'd love to know what else they do because uh, you know alien encounters it makes it very clear in the film are not part of the of the re- the remit so what else are, i mean are they you know doing a spot of ethnic cleansing or or what i'd love to know that you know what else do they drop that gunship on well, they've got the, they, there's the line about another bug hunt. So I'd like to know what the bug hunt was. Yes. You see, that'd be, there's loads of, loads of possibilities there. Um, but it's, it's, a re, it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, what, does that actually count as a spin-off? I don't know. You know, there was actually uh, another TV series based on Westworld back in... Uh, Future World. No, well, no, the Future no, World a was film. a sequel. That was a sequel film to Westworld. But uh, in um, 1980, there was a, a TV, a very short-lived TV series, I think it was cancelled after three episodes, called Beyond Westworld, um, set obviously in, in Westworld. So it's not the first time it's been done. And on that bombshell, that wraps up the podcast for this week. If you have ideas of which film you'd like to see turned into a TV series, then let us know um, in the podcast thread underneath the podcast. All I need to do now is thank Steve Withers. The Bible did not arrive by facts from heaven. Mark Hodgkinson. God uses us all. Ed Sally. Nobody hates history. They hate their own histories. And Mark Botwright. It's a basic phallus. <laughs> Where was that? <laughs> Where did you find that? That's in the film. <laughs> 
Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV Forums for latest reviews, news, and video. And of course, leave us those five star ratings on iTunes, uh, but only if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you.